Revelation 2, 12 through 17. The questions are good, it's just the wrong passage is listed. Hear the word of God, would you, from um, Jesus' letters to the seven churches, particularly the church of Pergamum. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The very word of God. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I have to confess, um, if you are new to Scripture, and even if you've walked with Jesus like me for 40 years or more, these Scriptures can be amazing challenge. And I, I, have, to, I have to say a word of warning as we move forward. It's going to get more challenging. Remember, remember, he's speaking both to the people that are there 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to you and to me at the very same time. And he's speaking, should he tarry in, in returning to those in the generations to come who might be experiencing even different things. So it's an amazing challenge to overcome. And we're starting to see some of those difficulties now as we get further and further into the book of Revelation. We've started by, by looking at the person of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to us, and we saw in Revelation chapter 1 this great, this great vision that John had of the one who saves us. And that vision is guiding us uh, through our, our study of the letters that he wrote to the seven churches of Asia at that time. Do you remember? Um, Chad, one of our elders, led us through um, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And, and, and Jesus charged them, saying, saying, you've lost your first love. Remember that? And therefore, repent and return. He's calling. Remember, these are letters to the people of God. These are, are letters to the church. And, and he's calling them back to himself. And then last week we saw in his letter to the church at Smyrna, literally Myrrh, right? To the church, the city of Myrrh. He says, I know your tribulation and your suffering. And, and we noted last week that, that Revelation is, is written to, in a gross oversimplification, I apologize, but, but written to two kinds of people. People who, on, on, the, on the one hand, might be 
suffering tremendously, physically, yes, emotionally, yes, but even spiritually as well. And, and Jesus speaks amazing words of comfort to those who are suffering. But we, we learned last week also that he also speaks to those of us who have grown very comfortable uh, in the world in which we live. Those of us who have kind of carved out a niche and figured out how to do this, right? I don't know why it's flashing through my mind right now, but, but uh, students uh, go through these, these major upheavals on a regular basis, right? Just about the time in, you're in middle school and you figure out um, which end is up, just about the time you, you get to be an eighth grader and, and you're ruling the school, right? Then you slide into high school and you drop to the bottom of the barrel and you can't, you can't even walk in certain areas of the, of the school and you got to relearn a whole new world. And just about the time that you figure out that world, then, then you graduate. And my heart, I've shared with you so many times, this goes out to those who graduated. You had a couple of them, Don, um, and, and had to graduate in the COVID crisis. And an already confusing world was made even more confusing um, I, think, I think what I love about Revelation is it speaks to those of us in those situations, those of us eighth graders all, all comfortable. We got, we got this down, right? And Jesus says, you have no idea what's coming. Your world is about to be turned upside down. <laughs> kind of speaks to our world, doesn't it? In 2020, our world has been changed. Now, now for many of us, it, 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 it wasn't a huge change, but for many of us, it was a devastating change. Our whole world was turned upside down, and people that we cared for and loved were taken from us. Some of you, even now, at home, have been isolated and, and so alone in all this time. That's what I love about God's Word. It speaks to us where we are. So what is, what is God's Word saying to us today? I'm in a, um, an accountability group with some brothers, and... And one of our points of accountability is that we do a soap study. We do an individual Bible study of the passage that we are um, going to study on Sunday. We do it uh, earlier in the week, and uh, we write down the notebook. I just really want to encourage you. Um, God always speaks through that, that time. And, and today I'm actually preaching from my soaps notes. We had a little, a little hiccup in the Internet uh, this morning. Praise God um, that we were able to get it back up so th those of you online can follow us. But we weren't able to get our printers back online, or at least my, my printer back online. So I'm preaching to you from God's Word through my own study of that uh, uh, in our self-study. Jesus says, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Where did your mind go? When you heard those words, right? Um, uh, I think my mind automatically went to the word of God, right? Uh, because uh, we know from our study of spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 that the word of God is, is, is a sharp two-edged sword, right? And so, so there is an aspect for me that's very comforting that... that the same word uh, which was written, which was spoken, which became living in, in Jesus Christ is speaking to me now. But there's also an aspect of, of a two-edged sword in Scripture that is an aspect of judgment, right? That is, that is saying, this is, there's, 
there's two edges of this, right? One can be amazingly life-giving and, and healing, much like a surgeon's scalpel, uh, but one also that can, that can be a sort of judgment that takes away life. The one who holds life in the balance is speaking to us today. Let me just pause for a second. I'm going I'm to walk you through this in what he said to the church of that day. Because there's lots of little nuances in this passage that had to do with that church. But know that I'm coming after myself and I'm coming after you at the end. Because we're going to ask ourselves, what does this say to us? To me personally and to us as a church today. Jesus is speaking. And he said to the to the church to the people of God in Pergamum I know where you dwell I know where you dwell he says you dwell where Satan's throne is isn't that incredible he says you're you're living under the dominion of that great adversary the evil one who's who's committed uh, to turn you away from the things of God, who's committed to destroying the gospel, destroying the very word of God. I know that you live there. Now, I have to say, um, so we're used to thinking about, um, in Revelation especially, Babylon as being this great um, center of evil. And it's code language for the time in which Jesus, everyone understood that Babylon was a great evil. But Babylon didn't exist when these words were written. Babylon had already fallen. And for many, the, the center of evil in the world that they knew at that time had shifted during that time. It had shifted already a couple of times. But you can probably see where this is going in that culture, at that time, the center of evil was a place. And that place was Pergamum. Now, we, we think of it, we go, I hardly know that word. What, you know, I know Rome, I know all these different things. But, but what, what is this place, um, uh, Pergamum? It was, it was a, a, a major city in what we know of as Turkey, but, but they knew of as Asia. And, and at Pergamum were all kinds of temples, all kinds of centers of false worship. In fact, one of them, you can look it up, was, um, was a temple to Zeus. And, and it looked, and even when you see pictures of it, because they have made models of it from the foundation, it looks like a throne. Right? It looks like this giant throne sitting on the Acropolis over, over Pergamum. And so this city, which, which would probably in a, in, a, in a wise move very early committed themselves to Rome before any of the other cities around them, even Ephesus did, this city committed themselves to Rome and Rome honored that by making it a place of, of uh, worship of the, of the emperor, Right? made it a place of worship of Caesar. And, and so, so Jesus speaking that says, I know the struggle that you live in. I know the place that you dwell. You dwell in the center of false worship, right? I know that. And I just want to say, I find so much comfort 
from knowing that God knows our circumstances, right? He knows the struggles that we are. He knows where we live. And I'm not just speaking about physically, not just Evansville, though he knows Evansville, but he knows the conditions under which we live. And, and, and I find so much comfort that God knows that and is aware of that. But he continues, I know your circumstances. You live near Satan's throne where Satan rules. But in the midst of that, I know also your convictions, right? You hold fast to my name. I, I love that imagery. I love that imagery, right? Of just clinging, just hanging on, right? What am I hanging on to? I'm hanging on to, in the midst of a world turned upside down, I'm hanging on to the very person of Jesus, you remember that, that the Greek word Jesus was actually um, a, a translation of the Hebrew word Joshua, which was really the, the combination of two words, Yahweh and Yeshua, Yahweh Yeshua, or it got shortened over time, Yahshua or Joshua, right? Which means that God saves. God saves When everything in your world is turned upside down, when you don't know what tomorrow holds, Jesus says, I know you cling to my name. You cling to this reality that salvation has come into your world. And by a simple clinging to that truth, you have been faithful so he knows our circumstances. He, he knows also our convictions. And I just want to encourage you, if you are finding yourself on the edge of that despair, I, I want to encourage you, hold on to his name. Hold on to his name. His name represents who he is. And he is able, amen, to deliver you from the physical, emotional, the spiritual challenges that are before you. He's able to deliver you from fear. From fear. What's going beautifully for Pergamum right now, the church of Pergamum, right? I, I know where you live, and, and I will join you there. I know your convictions. He goes in even another step. I know your courage. I know your courage. What are you talking about? Courage. That you didn't deny the faith, Right? Even when one of your own was being martyred for that faith. I'm trying to find someone to pick on. I'm going to pick on you, Jennifer. Um, um, so, so Jennifer makes a stand for the gospel, right? And, and suffers for that and is even martyred for that. What, what do we do? Do we run and hide? They didn't. They didn't. Even when one of their own, because of the very same faith, which we profess, when one of their own uh, was martyred as a result, then, then they stayed faithful. You did not deny the faith. Beloved, I know that you, you face all kinds of circumstances. And it would be so easy. I mean, in, in your mind, it would be easier to just deny that God exists than 
to be able to believe and trust through the experience that he is still sovereign and in control. But Jesus says, I see that. I know your, not only your conviction, but your courage, even as you're suffering. Well, again, each time we've seen generally that, that he sees a couple of things in us, he knows a couple of things in us that, that he celebrates, and then he, then he challenges us on a couple of different places. He says, I know also this. I know your compromise. I know your compromise. But I have a few things against you. He says, you have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam. In other words, he says, you have some in your midst who are holding on to false teaching. And though he doesn't say it here, he kind of indicates it in other churches when he speaks to other churches. He, he's saying you're tolerating untruths in, in your midst. You're tolerating untruths. Now remember, this is, they're not denying that Jesus is the Christ, right? They're, they're holding, they're clinging to his name. They're, they're not running in the face of persecution. They're, they're showing amazing courage. But, but uh, there's something else going on here. And, it's, and the secret to understanding what it is, is this, this teaching of Balaam, right? And some of you in your study this week, you go, what the heck is that? Teaching of Balaam. I remember Balaam is that incredible story in what? Numbers 22 to 25 uh, about this prophet um, having a war with his donkey, right? And, and the donkey speaks, right? And I remember uh, um, one of Chad's favorite things. I remember a flannel graph when I was little about, about Balaam, right? Um, but I thought that Balaam did okay, right? I thought that Balaam showed amazing courage. He said, I will not say that which God doesn't tell me to say. And, and, and you get to Numbers 25 and, and say, this guy should be celebrated. What is this? You hold to Balaam's teachings. Well, the secret comes in two places. One is right here. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus, by the way, had the very same book of numbers that you and I have. Um, Jesus, his Bible was our Old Testament. His worship book was our Psalms, right? His, his wisdom literature was our Proverbs. He had all the very same things. But he knew that in Numbers 31, I want to say 16, Numbers 31, 16, that, that Balaam was actually, was actually rebuked. Because when, when he would not, Israel would not turn away from God on a frontal assault, then Balaam counseled the king who wanted to conquer Israel with a different strategy. Don't, don't come on with a frontal assault. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He said, he said instead, um, let's put stumbling blocks in their way. And, and, and the stumbling blocks that he put in their way were, were unbelieving spouses. Well, that's not true. It's not unbelieving spouses. It's spouses who believed something different. And and. Israel's heart was changed by the false worship in their midst. Don't, don't attack them. If you ask them right up, if I, attack, if I said to you, Kristen, do you deny Jesus as Lord? You'd say, no way, right? What Balaam did was then put into your life, he, 
he insinuated into your life these little tiny changes that then turn you away. What would those be for us? They might be false worship. Uh, there's false teaching rampant in the church from prosperity gospel to false, uh, false uh, cult worship. Um, this passage is very personal for me because someone I love very dearly uh, has a whole different interpretation of this passage which culminates in the fact that Jesus has already come again the second time and only certain people uh, are going to be saved as a result. There's a whole false teaching from this passage. Jesus says, I have this against you, church, that, that you tolerate false teaching, right? You tolerate the teachings of Balaam. But beyond the teachings of Balaam, you also tolerate the method of Balaam, of, of, of putting stumbling blocks before Christians. Putting stumbling blocks that when they trip over them, then they're tempted to deny the faith that they once professed. He mentions another teaching, and I'll, I'll just salute it for a second because we'll deal with it a little bit more next week in, in our church at Thyatira. But he also mentions the, the, uh, the false teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans, I've got to be careful how I say it, Nicolaitans. And, and let me just say that there's a lot of speculation about what that false teaching was. I know two things. Though I don't know what the te false teaching of the Nicolaitans was, I know that it exists right now. Some have thought it was, it was the denial that Jesus ever came in the flesh. All I know is that the word Nicolaitans is the word Nike and laity put together. And when you put the word Nike or overcome and laity, the people, together, there, um, it appears that there was a movement in that time to say to people like you, to people like you who are watching at home, you don't have the ability to understand God's word yourself. You need a professional. You need uh, somebody with all kinds of letters and degrees after his name to interpret the word for you. And I don't, I can't guarantee you that this was, if I just take the name, um, they were overcoming the people by putting in place structures that limited their access to the word of God. And, and I just wonder whether or not that was the situation, I just want to say that's a danger for us. You have everything you need to open God's word. You don't need someone to, to uh, interpret for you. You have, through your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And though we don't always get it right in our own personal um, uh, Bible studies, you also have the body of Christ to say to you, help me understand. If, if I start to go off on a wild tangent, right, then, then you can come to me and say, help me understand, uh, Dave, not Pastor Dave, uh, Dave, laity member who can open the word of God. Help me understand, where does the word of God say that? We can sharpen one another as, as, as two swords sharpen one another, right? We can, we can encourage one another. So, so what we do know from this passage was they were doing all kinds of things really good. They, were, they, they had it carved in stone what they believed. They, they, they projected their faith very well, but, but, but stumbling blocks had been inserted. Stumbling blocks by false teaching saying this is true when it's not. And, and also um, 
just the method of, of desiring one another to stumble that, that Jesus spoke against. That Jesus spoke against. I think we're so vulnerable to that right now. Because we live in a world where what the scripture, what the word of God clearly says is, is evil. Our culture not only says it's not evil, but has elevated and, and, uh, and demanded it and, and will one day require it of us in order to live, right? So the words of Isaiah 5, verse 20, come back, woe to those who call evil good and who call good evil. And beloved, that is the world in which we live. So let me pause for a second and say, where is Satan's throne now? Right? Where is Satan's throne now? If at one point it was Babylon, at another point it was Rome and specifically Pergamum, where is Satan's throne now? Are you reading between the lines? Who is it that exports evil to the entire globe? Right? Um, wow. We live where Satan's throne is. But take heart. Take heart. Cling. Cling to the name of Jesus. Cling to the person of Jesus. Right? I don't know why my mind is being drawn to, um, to Jeremiah. I want to say 13. For some reason that's not sounding right. When, when God commanded that prophet to take off his linen belt, that's a, that's a nicer way of saying what he took off, um, but take off your linen belt and, and travel 800 miles and bury it in the ground, then go home. And, and oftentimes what God asks us to do does not make sense to us at the time, right? I remember, I remember when he granted us a vision a year ago of, of 20,000 churches 260,000 disciples in a way that no possible way could happen by the year 2030, right? And weeks later, COVID hit and, and churches began meeting in homes. And, 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 and uh, as, as one is going to meet here tonight, uh, church plants uh, began, began happening all over the city. And, and what did not make sense to us just a few months ago now makes all kinds of sense, Right? Um, wow, uh, God said to this prophet, I want you to go bury your linen belt in the ground 800 miles away, then come back. And he did. I, he's a better man than I am, Jeremiah. And then a few months later, Jeremiah says, okay, I want you to go get your belt, right? And he traveled 800 miles again, dug up the linen Guys can't understand this, but women probably can. Imagine what would happen to a linen belt that was buried in the ground. For several months, right? Uh, he dug it up. And, and God spoke to him and said, this, and you can picture that rag. I, my dog drags my socks out in the backyard. I cannot explain it, but Winnie, for some reason, hunts the house until she can find something, a sock or a towel, then she takes it outside, right? And she leaves it out there. I don't find it until I mow the lawn. And, and, 
And, and you can imagine what my socks look like after a week of being out there in the weather. I, I'm holding it up and going, this is disgusting, right? It was disgusting before she took it outside. God says, this is what you're like if you don't cling to me. If you don't hold on. You, according to Jeremiah, are that linen belt designed, created to hold on to Jesus. So I just cry out to you, hold on, beloved. Hold on. In in the midst of the COVID crisis, do not be afraid Hold on. In the midst of an upcoming election where it's guaranteed that half of us are going to be disappointed, right? Then, then, then hold on. Hold on. Not to the election results. Hold on to your trust in Jesus Christ. The one, I love the way some people put it, it's not a donkey or an elephant, right? It's a lamb that's important in this case. It is a lamb, the lamb of God that's important. Hold on to the lamb. Right. And what do we do in the midst if we found ourselves being sucked in, if we found ourselves having stumbled over over, um, these false teachings, over these false understandings? He says, repent, remember. He's speaking to the church. I think most of my life, I just kind of assume those words are always speaking to people who don't believe. And God was saying, repent, but no, we have learned in 2 Chronicles 7.14, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn, repent from their wicked ways, right? Again, Jesus right here says, if my people will repent, if my church will repent, right? Then, then my purposes will be accomplished through them. We see this command. Repent, and what a great week to do that. A week before we we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's not just, and I don't want to minimize this, let's repent of our individual sin because that's hindering our relationship with Jesus. But let's repent of our corporate sin as a church as well. How have we shown as lights in a dark world? Because we have compromised because we've compromised what we believe, then all of a sudden our light doesn't look any different than, than the light of the world around us, right? Well, things are going to get very dark in the world around us. It's critical that this light shines brightly. Let's repent as a church. And let's repent as a nation. If in fact, and this is just all Dave, Jesus didn't say the United States is the place where Satan dwells. No, I just... That's been my experience. This is Dave speaking. But let's repent of of being the throne on which Satan sat, of being the place where Satan dwells. Let's stop exporting sin to one another and to our world. Let's hold to what is true. What do we do then? What do we do? Come on up, worship team, if you would. I want to go back to that first thing that Jesus said. The one, he said, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Go back to the sword. Go back. What do we do? We repent and we go back to the sword of the Spirit. We go back to the word of God. We test everything, everything by the word of God. And, and, 
and in love we speak grace and we speak truth to one another, to one another. Oh, there's 15 different ways that, that you could speak truth to me that would destroy me. They'd be true, but it would destroy me, right? Let, let's speak grace and truth to one another, but also let's, let's speak grace and truth to a world that so desperately needs hope, that so desperately needs light. Let's go back to the sword of the Spirit. Let's go back to the Word of God. Here's the deal. One way or another people are going to get the sword. Are you following me? One way or another, we're going to get the sword, and the world around us is going to get the sword. Let's choose the sword of spirit. Let's choose to align our lives by the word of God rather than the culture around us, which is where Satan dwells, right? Let's, let's choose to surrender our lives to the written to the spoken, to the living word, Jesus Christ, instead. Pray with me, would you? God, we uh, confess that um, we can't do this on our own. We are helpless in and of ourselves to stand like Antipas stood in the midst of persecution, to offer his physical life, God, for the gospel. Now we tremble just, just at the, uh, the pestilence that's before us. We tremble at the, at the thought of the political upheaval that is before us. No, God, we can't do this without you. But I thank you that you know our circumstances, our corporate ones, but each of our individual ones as well. Thank you that you know our hearts. We have nothing, God, to cling to. No treasure of this world. We have nothing, God, apart from Jesus to hold on to. But I thank you, Jesus, as so many have said, that when we come to the end of all of our resources, when we discover that Jesus is all we have, we also discover that Jesus is all we need. So we confess together, God, We need you, Jesus. Meet us in our time of need. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.